Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor. We pray that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help you connect your faith to the everydayness of life as we discuss the passage from Sunday's sermon and the things that stuck out and the sticky places that are hard to to reckon with as we live lives of faith. We pray that this will be a blessing to you and ask that if you know of somebody else that would it would be a blessing to them to share it, to pass it on, and to like and subscribe to our podcast so that you're sure not to miss any of our um, any of our episodes. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of The Cutting Room Floor. Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. This week, we're taking a deeper dive into Mark 5. In this passage, Jesus heals two individuals, one a woman, one a little girl. Uh, and it is a passage that feels a bit jumbled. It kind of goes back and forth. It's There's a technical term for it, but I won't bore you with that. Uh, but I tried to bring out that this passage um, demonstrates the relationship our faith should have to fear. Pastor Dina, how did that come through? What did you think of my assertion that faith helps us push through fear and to the feet of Jesus? Yes. I mean, that's my first <laughs> Good reaction. Talk. Yeah, yeah, that's all. But, but I think also, I mean, the answer is yes, but it's so much deeper than that and richer than that and harder than that because these people, both Jairus and the woman, are are at the end of their rope. They really don't have anywhere else to go. Jesus is their last hope. And so there's such a desperation there that that at our core, we can we can reckon with. I mean, we've all been desperate with fear, whether in a real situation or imagined situation that, you know, our, our anxiety and, and the fearful part of our brains, um, you know, run away with us. And I think, you know, I, I, especially as a parent, but you know, there are moments where a thought will cross my mind of fear for my kids that'll nearly take my breath away. Mm. And, and in that moment, there's nothing I can do and again i mean they're none of them are close to super close to driving age but you know <laughs> you think of when you hear headlines of other teens who have been hurt or or worse in a car accident yeah. or when you hear about uh, the the drug epidemic or or whatever these deep fears even if we can't do anything about it can can really shake us and yet the only hope is to to take them to the feet of jesus and to say jesus you are the the only way I, I can not be consumed by this, and and you're the only hope I have, to, enduring whatever is to come, whether it's the worst fears I can imagine or or something I haven't even imagined yet, um, and and there's such there's such an honesty and such a beauty in in both what Jairus and the woman did. I mean, they were willing to leave every Jairus was willing to leave every ounce of of acclaim and privilege he had behind because he believed that that Jesus could make a difference and the woman was willing to risk even the little bit that she had to to just touch Jesus and in both cases they they both realized that just a little touch of Jesus would make a difference and we we often concentrate that on 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 that when it comes to the woman because she mm. just touches the hem of his garment but even Jairus says you know 
just touch her and she'll be okay as he's referring to his daughter like just your touch alone will be incredible um, so there there's so much here and you know fear is something we we deal with all the time whether like i said whether it's real fear or imagined fear worry about what is what's to come um, and something i love that you said was that um neither Jairus nor the woman were condemned because of their fear. Jesus didn't mm, say, "Yeah, come on, man. Why, you know, why are you worried about this? You know, I can change things." Um, and yeah. I think so often in our Christian faith, we we assume that fear is the same as lack of faith, and they're really not. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to phrase that. That's and. And we have made it such a, we've made it this, this gold standard that, that Jesus never implements in terms of, of the people who approach him. Um, and in fact, the, the, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the, the man who says, I believe help my unbelief, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he's acknowledging that both, both things exist within him simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jesus doesn't shy away from that. He never shies away from from our condition and, um, and the complexity and the the mixed mixed emotions and and feelings that come with that. Yeah, and and that's the you know that's the difficulty of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about that ahead of time, but that, that's really the difficulty of Jesus. Religion tries to make things neat. Yeah. Religion tries to to provide rules that will give us a clear understanding of of where we are and where we stand. And Jesus never seeks to do that through rules and through through platitudes or through through um you know axioms or whatnot, but he tries to to paint the the love of God in a picture that isn't that isn't rule based and so it lacks a fair amount of clarity that mm-hmm. we're that we want to know um you know it's we're almost like the proverbial couple where one is like well do you love me why do you love me mm-hmm. what do you love about me yeah and are you sure you love me exactly yeah. and and jesus is painting this picture and we still have those doubts in us about are you sure mm-hmm. are you sure but what about this and what about this he never takes that as a sign of he never takes that and, and, and condemns people for it. Um, now, we, he does actually, you know, he does actually tell his disciples, are you still so dull? Yeah. Um, now, that one, that one hurts. Yeah. Um, but also, they were the people who, who already loved him and, and trusted him enough to follow. And so I think he could say that in a different way than... Correct. Than to these people that were approaching him, who presumably he'd never met before but had heard about him yeah yeah well and so i think that's that's very instructive for the church are are we trying to make the the church a place of religious clarity where we understand where we stand and 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 find our comfort from from our own works or are we making the church to be the covenant people of god who understand the love of god and who welcome people in in the way that jesus welcomes people in um, which is far messier, mm-hmm. 
you know, the disciples, you were talking about the fact that it, it must have been hard for the disciples. If they were very task oriented, they must have been like, come on, Jesus, you said you were going to do something. Let's go over here and let's do this. Yeah. And they showed themselves to be somewhat task oriented in the beginning of Mark, where they say, um, when Jesus gets up and goes out and prays and he, they come to him and they said, people are already lining up. We got to go do the healings. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to go over here mm-hmm. and teach. Um, and, and all that to say, you know, what this passage can teach us as the church is, are we welcoming people? And, and radical welcome is a phrase that has been, that has been given a whole lot of baggage Mm-hmm. and a whole lot of theological freight that it ought not to have. Um, but when we talk about welcome and when we talk about uh, people being able to approach Jesus, like this is an example of they've got fear, they've got concern. Jesus is their last choice, mm-hmm. um, but they still come and Jesus says, great, yeah, and, let's go for it. And to kind of connect it to the, the children's sermon, a little bit I'd ask the kids you know have you ever woken up in the middle of the night afraid and you know the the worst thing we can do with with people's fear is saying well that's a silly thing to be afraid of and or you know why are you worried about that that hasn't even happened yet or you know yeah. you know you know there's actually not a reason to fear this and it it adds shame and and guilt and a sense of you're being foolish to someone who's already <laughs> vulnerably sharing that I'm afraid. And, um, and Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, come on, dude, you knew I could heal your daughter or, you know, Hey lady, why'd you touch me? You, you knew what would happen. Yeah. I mean, he responds with such compassion and such grace as I mean, to both of them, but I think especially to the woman who really just tried to get in, get healed and get out without being noticed, without being, yeah. without causing a scene, without, without even taking anything from Jesus, without, you know, without bothering him. Yeah. I, mean, I can almost imagine in her head, her thinking, like, well, you know, I know he has important things to do and, you know, I believe he can heal me, but I, I don't want to take his time and attention. So if I can just touch the hem of his robe, then... I need to get out in, yeah. get out, and let no one see me. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's so much there too with with the way we approach Jesus. I mean, how often do we do we think my fears are foolish? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bother God with this. You know, yeah. certainly God has bigger things to worry about than whether I'm afraid of what might happen ten years down the road. Yeah, but Jesus responds in such with such compassion and such grace, and he he calls her daughter and you had mentioned as we were planning for this, that this is the only place where we have a record of Jesus calling someone daughter. And he could have just, he could have just kept going, but he stopped and he found her and, and affirmed her faith in the midst of it. And again, he could have said, come on lady, if you know, I'm, I'm the son of God. If you're going to approach me, do it right. Yeah. But he didn't, that wasn't at all the Jesus we see. Yeah. I it, and as you're you're talking about this, I you know, from Jairus's point of view too. Like as we take a look at um as we take a look at verse 36, you know, it's not as cuz this is where Jesus overhears the people telling Jairus that his daughter had died. Um and he says to Jairus, "Don't be afraid, just believe," or or "Don't be afraid, 
keep on believing. Yeah. And in, you know, we could look at that and say, well, obviously he's saying, don't, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we shouldn't be afraid. But to think that Jesus thought he had no fear prior to this moment yeah. is, is really bad naivety. I mean, he, he is obviously afraid for his daughter's life. Um, and so Jesus isn't saying, don't s- start having the thoughts of fear right now. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like you haven't had them before, yeah. but he's saying, you know, don't allow those to overcome the faith that you have. Yeah. Don't, he, don't let it start overwhelming your faith at this point. Yeah. You had drawn out that, that, that verb phrasing it, it is probably keep on believing it. it it's yeah. affirming the faith that he has had commingled with the fear up until this point and saying, don't, I guess, you know, hearing it explained that way, I kind of get the sense of, you know, don't let the fear drown out the faith you have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, more so than don't be afraid, you foolish guy who's afraid that his, his daughter is going to die. I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's a big thing. Of course he's afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, I want to, deal with that one in particular because you know we read it in in the english and we're like don't be afraid just believe and and the way that comes off in english can be very weaponized yeah um just believe come on what's wrong with you yeah don't you have enough faith is is how it it feels when you're on the receiving end of that yes and so i wanted to to get that out there because that's that's an important distinction in the in the tone of what jesus is saying it's much closer to we talked about uh, in the in the prep the the um, the twenty third psalm and mm-hmm. and the fact that that has been you know that's been shaping for me in the in the fact that you know even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil mm-hmm. uh, for you are with with me um, and and the fact that that it's not saying even though I walk towards the valley of the shadow of death, you redirect me, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not that it's not, you know, I go because of you, I go over uh, above the, the shadow of, you know, it's, there is a sense from David that he goes right through the middle of those places. Mm -hmm. And his comfort isn't in the fact that, that those things are going to dissipate. His comfort is in God alone. And, and that's the, that's much different than the Christianity that I think, the American church in particular has portrayed. And I don't think it's biblical. Mm-hmm. I think for sure that, that we need to look at this and say, Hmm. So we need to help people in their fear, not tell them that they ought not to be fearing. Yeah. And that, that's a hard thing because if we're helping people in their fear, instead of telling them not to fear, then, then we're probably going to have to confront our own fears yeah, too. Well, there is that. Um, and, and again, and I think back to our conversations on on suffering, you know, and these things kind of go hand in hand that that if we're going to truly open our lives to people and build our community through relationship and to share Jesus because we believe Jesus makes a difference in our life, then then there's a lot of work for us to do too and a lot of vulnerability that we're going to have to show too with, both with our friend and at the feet of Jesus when, you know, when we say like, oh man, God, I didn't, you know, now this, this tragedy, this fear, this, this concern has landed right at the feet of someone I know. It's no longer an outside threat that maybe could happen, but, but something that has happened to someone very close to me. And oh my goodness, what if it, 
what if it happens to me or what if I have to to suffer in this way and and that's really hard yes <laughs> and, and and I think it it takes the question of of asking are we going to be the kind of community that walks mm-hmm. with people through these dark valleys um, as Jesus walked through life with us in order to redeem us? Or are we going to be the kind of community that gives rules and adds shame to people? Yeah. And, and to bring it around to where we started, if, if we're going to be the kind of people that walk with people, with, with others, then we need to be constantly pushing through our own fear and our own stuff to be at the feet of Jesus. That's the only way we're going to ever yes. lead other people to the feet of Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And if we don't know how to do that, we need to find the people who do. Yeah. Um, and and there are, there's no shortage of them in the world. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big question for the Christian community is as they're, um, as we deal with, you know, the negative perceptions of the church and of Christians, um, you know, we're not going to change that through a marketing campaign. We're going to change that through, um, increasing our faithfulness and looking for spiritual maturity, Mm -hmm. um, and then letting the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Um, but we're, you know, we can't do that through, ah, that's not what we believe. And then, yeah, you know, being bitter, divisive and, and jerks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, we we talked a bit about having, you know, having to do our own work to be at the feet of Jesus. And and it's important to realize too that there was a cost to both Jairus and his daughter do- and and the woman in in going to Jesus. Yes. Social cost, mm-hmm. um cost in their the privilege, the the great privilege that Jairus had as a leader in the synagogue and you know, the woman risked the very little bit of, of privilege that she had. Yeah, she risked you, punishment, really. Yeah. Um, and and it, is a, it, it is a hard thing to say, especially in this contemporary age, to say the only place that this can ever find hope is at the feet of Jesus. That, you know, we, we are much quicker to go to platitudes and well, everything happens for a reason. And Ugh. yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Kate Bowler wrote a great book by that title. Everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And, and <laughs> she tells her own story through, um, through cancer and, and, and all that that has meant for her life. But it, it, it takes, there's a cost for us too as we lead other people and yeah and and also submit ourselves to jesus and i think too you know maybe even in the midst of of jairus's story part of that is jesus doesn't always act the way we want him to like i'm sure jairus wanted nothing more than to <laughs> grab jesus's hand and drag him through that crowd and say come do this come, you know i yeah, i believe you can get there yeah um and of course, you know, the, it's a happy ending for now, but I mean, this little girl eventually is going to be in the same place. And, you know, even every hope that we have for this world still doesn't answer the, the full problem of, of sin and death and struggle and fear. Um, 
and when when God doesn't act the way we want to in the midst of those times, it it's really hard. It 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 can be painful. I it, mean, yeah, you know, we talked about the disciples. We talked about the the um, about Jairus. You know, the God is Jesus is not moving at a quick pace here. Mm-hmm. Like he never runs anywhere. That's actually to to throw my my uh, book uh, title out here. Uh, not that I have a, a book, just a, you know things that I've read. Um, but uh, the um, the Japanese theologian uh, Kosuke Koyama wrote the bo- uh, the book Three Mile an Hour God, mm. which talks about the fact that Jesus never runs. You know, he every like him to sometimes. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. We want him to run. We want him to, to be there with a, a, you know, with a, with a hanky and a chocolate bar, wherever we, we, we are. Um, but he doesn't, he, he walks everywhere. And so Koyama's, um, assertion is that he is the three mile an hour God, because that's the the speed of an average walk. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's much slower than what we are used to. Um, heck even, you know, I listen to podcasts. I listen to, to any number of podcasts. I listen to them on 1.5 speed. Mm-hmm. And even at times that can feel a little slow <laughs> unless I'm listening to people from England or Australia. And then I kind of have to keep it at 1.5. Otherwise I don't catch everything. But, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we do, we try to speed up. How can I cram more into the, the, the time that I have because I don't have time for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that's not the way that Jesus operated. Uh, much to the consternation of Jairus, much to the consternation of the disciples, uh, much to the consternation of the crowds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but he sets an example for us where, where the, the spiritual, the pace of the spiritual life is not at a frenzy. Um, and, and I think it was, um, I think it was Pete Scazzaro that said, you can't be going at warp speed without warping your soul. Mm. Um, and, and we have to realize that, that the way that we act, the way that we build our lives shapes us spiritually as well. Do we like the shape that we're in spiritually? If not, we've got to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can feel really overwhelming, especially if you're going, well, I don't like the shape I'm in, but I don't, I don't know what to do to fix it. I don't, you know, and I think, again, there's a sense of a vulnerability. I mean, for me, the, the first step is, is telling that to God and to, to say, I need help with this. I I want to grow. Help me. And then, you know, to do that personally and and internally with your individual relationship and then also turn to people around you and say, the the people that that have the kind of faith that you admire and say, help me. What do you do? Help me, you know, hold hold me accountable. Um, Walk with me through this. You know, again, that idea of, bearing with one another. I didn't say this in the sermon, but it was in my, my notes that uh, I wanted to ask the question, you know, what is it that's generating fear in your life right now? I mean, that's the question. Like these, these individuals came over, overcame the fear, um, that was surrounding the crisis in their life 
to, to come to the feet of Jesus. Uh, what is that in your life? What yeah. is it that needs to be pushed through in order to actually get to the feet of Jesus? Yeah, I, and I think for some of us, it is just that generalized fear, generalized anxiety in a world where we have information at our fingertips. We also have a whole slew of information about terrible things that could happen. And we're, we're more aware now than we've ever been about situations in the world, which, you know, bring, brings fear of what could be in the, in the coming days and weeks and years. Um, we have more access to information about our own physical health. And I think we understand in ways now more than we ever have that, that things could be fine until all of a sudden they are very much not fine. Yes. And, you know, one diagnosis, one scan, one set of blood work could, could send your whole world spinning. And so I think there's those generalized fears and then fears for the people we love. I, mean, I think, you know, to be vulnerable personally, those are the ones that, that trip me up. The idea of the people that I love struggling or yeah. being hurt or, um, or, or worse. And so I find myself constantly have, having to go back to things like the 23rd Psalm and saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me and, and I will come out on the other side one way or another yeah. and, and maybe not unscathed, but with hopefully with faith intact. Yeah. I, and I want to clarify um, because I can say, again, this can sound very, very um, shaming. It can ver- sound very judgmental. Like, well, what's, what's the fear that you're not coming through in your yeah. life? But I want to say this as someone who actually does have a diagnosis of of generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. like uh, like this is something i work on in my own life too like oh, yeah. how do i bring every thought captive to to jesus yeah um and how do i how do i go through how do i let my faith lead me through those areas that that the opposing voices are saying all manner of things that my brain just seems ready to to believe and to come to Jesus and, and to really submit those things to him and to fall at his, his feet. That's a hard, it's a hard work. And it's, it's not a, it's not a, an instantaneous work. No. And that's part of that three mile an hour God. Um, and it's a part of, you know, in the Presbyterian tradition, we pro- you probably grew up with Christian education, right? Yeah. Which is a very knowledge based understanding of the faith. Um, you know, you, you described it well last week. Who is Moses? Who is Joshua? Yeah. Who is David? You know, being able to answer those questions, but the transforming power isn't necessarily in that. The transforming power is in knowing Jesus personally um, and allowing him to to form our spirit in a way that aligns with his. Well, that takes a lot of time. And, and that's what I, I as, as Jesus didn't hurry here, I'm saying to to myself and 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 as well to to our listeners, like it's gonna take time. Yeah, formation and, isn't quick. Yeah, and sometimes for me, I think it's where I have to go simplest. That you know, and I and when my kids say that they're worried about something or you know they're struggling with something, I often go to um, the verse in in Philippians four that says. Um, 
whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And I try to use that to to turn my heart back to God, that, you know, whatever is true, that, that God's going to be with me no matter what comes, whatever is right. Like, I know, I know God is in control and, and not in a, in a trite platitude kind of way, but, you know, yeah. I believe that at my core, that, that somehow, even if things completely fall apart behind me, that God is in the midst of it, um, you know, that, but, but it almost, it becomes simple. It be, you know, I, I can't worry about all the theological reasons why I believe that, that taking things to the feet of Jesus is what I should do or mm, what Jesus yeah. did for me. It's just, it's a simple, I almost think about it the way when a child is, is afraid, we don't, eventually there'll be time to to unpack why maybe this doesn't need to be afraid of but for now all they need is a hug yeah you know for now all they need is held and and told it's okay i'm with you and, and that's a good analogy because we are children of god mm-hmm. and so we just like a child doesn't fully understand why you know you don't say to a three-year-old well the reason there's thunder is <laughs> yeah. because the lightning superheats the air which then forms a shock wave and yeah you know you as the child's wailing away we don't we're that child we're not gonna fully understand the wonders of the universe Mm -hmm. we can still be awed by them we can still be frightened by them Mm -hmm. but we won't fully understand it and uh and so if we're looking to knowledge as our comfort then we have we we've missed the boat it's Mm -hmm. it's not there it's in jesus yeah yeah and that doesn't mean I'm anti-intellectual either. Right, right. It's, it's, I mean, I'm working on my doctorate. Yeah, Come on, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a both. And again, I think part of, part of spiritual maturity and, and growing in our, in our spiritual walk is knowing what we need that, when. You know, that, yes. that knowing at, at times we need to address our fear in saying, okay, well, what, what steps can I, t-? you know, if I'm worried about, about, disease someday then what what steps should i be taking to care for my body and to care for the people around me so that that maybe we can lessen this fear a little bit but then also at other times just trusting that somehow god is in the midst of of all things and and holding on to us I, and i and it's hard sometimes to know what we need and especially in an information age where um, you know even even at our lunch table here how many times in the last two days have we asked Siri the answer to something you know we're so used to seeking <laughs> yes. out information and seeking out things we can do um and th- <laughs> those are important steps but but also we have to trust that on some level there's nothing we can do and 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 going to Jesus is the only thing to do yes yeah I mean it's it it is that a sensitivity to knowing what we need and when, you know, I think, you know, it's not, it's not fear to understand that there's a link between breast cancer and colon cancer, mm-hmm. um, and, and to, to act appropriately, but it, there is an irrational fear that, that perhaps needs to be dealt with if for, if you have no family history mm-hmm. and you're afraid every day that yeah. you're coming down with cancer. Yeah. To the point where it, inhibits your life yeah so you know understanding those things yeah and i think an important part too is is being around people who can help us figure out what we need in that moment yes that you know if i'm if i'm 
calling my sister every day and saying, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. At some point, I'm going to need her to tell me, hey, if you're afraid of this, maybe these are some steps you should take. But then at some point, I'm also going to need her to say, maybe you should just take it to Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, and and as we surround ourselves with the community of God, if we as we surround ourselves with people who are faithful, then they're going to be able to speak that into our lives too. And, you know, it'd be interesting to to look into the reaction of the crowd around these two people and and figure out to what degree, you know, because you get the sense that Jairus had a whole bunch of people with him and a whole bunch of people coming after him to yeah. tell him about his daughter and, and to figure out, yes. like, I wonder if someone said, hey, Jairus, maybe try Jesus or or how the woman got to the point where she thought Jesus would would be the one. There was obviously a, a reputation mm-hmm. that Jesus had and they were willing they were willing to risk real concrete things over Jesus's reputation. Yeah. Um so I but what you're talking about really gets to something that got cut because this passage is is set in the larger context of Mark that began at the end of chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Um and has that question who is this? Um, even the winds and the waves obey him. And then it goes through um, the Gerasene demoniac, uh, which was two weeks ago. And then it goes to um, last week. Um, and then it goes to, uh, do I have my weeks off? No, last no, week was the Gerasene demoniac. Last week was the Gerasene demoniac. Yeah. Then it goes to this, and then it goes next week into Nazareth, which is what we'll be talking about next week. Um, and, um, but it has this, there's always a question of cleanness. And mm-hmm. so I, I very much downplayed that in the Gerasene demoniac issue because he was in Gentile territory, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I downplayed it in this sermon because I didn't want to get into it because it's it's a little bit longer form discussion and mm-hmm. really not one that lands very well. Yeah. Let's talk about cleanness and uncleanness. Yeah. Boom. You know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's talk about Leviticus. How about we don't? Yeah. Thanks. It's just not. Um, but, um, here he, he, we're dealing with this issue of cleanness and uncleanness. And in, in the, uh, in the Israelite law, uncleanness always was transferred from someone who was unclean to someone who was clean. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, uh, so the, the woman who had been subject to bleeding, um, she could have transferred uncleanness to people around her, Mm -hmm. which would have lasted until sundown. Of, of that day. Um, if you touch a dead body, it's a week of uncleanness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a number of things that can make you ceremonially unclean. Well, here's the thing. In each and every instance in this section, from, from the end of four to the beginning of six, anytime there's uncleanness, it doesn't get transferred from the unclean person to Jesus. But Jesus's cleanness gets transferred to the unclean person and heals them. He, he undoes the law. Yeah, it's a complete reversal of of their entire experience up until this point. Yes. And so the the woman, you know, she was risking because she could have made everyone in that crowd unclean for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and would certainly have made Jesus unclean for the day. But instead, his cleanness is transferred to her. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he doesn't just say that, go, your your faith has made you well, uh, go in peace. Um uh, let's see here. And be, he doesn't say, and be freed from 
your bleeding, he says, and be freed from your suffering. Mm-hmm. Because in in healing and making her clean, he is restoring her to the community. Yeah. Her her suffering isn't coming just from the the physical aspect. Yeah. I I remember studying this passage another time or hearing a sermon on it and it drew parallels to really both of these women, the the young girl and the um, woman who was bleeding were, were restored to life in two different ways. One to very Mm -hmm. physical life, but, but the bleeding woman into life in the community because, yeah. And you did mention on Sunday, I mean, it had been 12 years. That's a long time to go without any physical touch. And COVID was bad enough. Right. And it, and not, you know, not even like, okay, well, we can, we can sit right next to each other. But like, no one wanted to have anything to do with her. She right. was, she was outcast. Persona non grata. Yeah. Um, and, and so she was restored to life in the community. And that's a, a pretty incredible thing to think about that, that, you know, imagine being cut off from, from everyone for 12 years and then. To have someone say to you, welcome back. Here's your freedom. Yeah. And and I do think that that kind of restoration is waiting for us when we when we bring our fears to the foot of Jesus. Because even, you know, as much as I don't want it to turn in to platitudes, there is there is a comfort in knowing that that even if I'm if I'm curled into a little ball <laughs> at the feet of Jesus, he can still make a difference in my life and in the life of people around me and sustain me beyond what I think I can endure on my own. Yeah. Um, and there's such a beauty in that and, and such hope in that because at some point we're all afraid of something, whether it's something we can pinpoint or whether a generalized fear, whether we're fe- af- afraid for our individual families or the world around us, we're all fear is something that is universal to, to everyone. Yes. Um, and, and to really trust that Jesus can make a difference in the midst of that is sometimes the only hope we can cling to yeah. in, the, in the midst of those situations. So as, as I think about the, the theme of cleanness and uncleanness, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote down in my notes as I was prepping my sermon and this didn't make it at all. Um, but the fact that the cleanness was transferred, uh, from Jesus to the individual, you know, it makes me think of people who say that they, um, you know, they don't want to be in the church at their worst moments, um, as if the the church is a place that you only come when you're clean. Um, that was true of the temple. You know, the temple was a place where you washed, you pur- purified, um, and depending upon your status, you could approach to different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not. But the review, reverse is is what's supposed to be true of the church. You know, we're not supposed to be a place that you come once you're clean. You're spo- we're supposed to be the place that you come and be made clean. It's part of why we gather. It's part of why we confess. You know, we don't contaminate Jesus. Yeah. He purifies us. Yeah. And that that's, again, so different than what we've been led to to think as we think about, nope, can't associate with that kind of person. Nope, can't associate with that with that kind of behavior. Um, and now, I mean, I think it's even morphed into kind of the way we, we deal with suffering and, and fear and death. And you mentioned it a bit on, on Sunday, you know, the way we, we associate with death in 2024 is completely different that even 
30 years ago yes. that you know it's so distant and so sanitized and, yes and sanitized good word. cleaned up um that that i think you know again it, it kind of reinforces that idea that that i can't be a mess when i come through the doors of the church and i i think you know if we are gonna build Christ's community expand Christ's community through relationship and discipleship specifically but also worship then we have to be willing to say to people it's okay if you're a mess and then we have to be willing to to demonstrate that as well and, and bring our vulnerable messy fearful selves yeah so yeah for sure which is not at all easy to do just, no by the way but you know what it's it's such a it's such a wonderful thing. I've I have had the privilege of being with people as they pass, mm-hmm. uh, with it's even our language, being with people as they die. Yeah. Um. And sometimes their family has been there and praying with the family at at that moment. Yeah. And and it's just it's an awful moment and a wonderful moment and yeah. it's a and I wouldn't trade those those experiences for anything even though they were horrendous yeah yeah same I I mean I always say like a part of me loves doing funerals I I wish that I didn't have to like I wish the the reason for them didn't exist right and yet you know as you said there's such a beauty in in being in those moments where sometimes tears is all all you can bring and and prayers and holding a hand and 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 saying it you know the feet of Jesus is the only place we can go with this because it's terrible. Yeah. And it's hard. But you know, if, if we can be there in those moments, we can be there in the moments where the person is still living. Yeah. Um, and, and the pain is just as real and the, the difficulty is just as real. Yeah. Um, and you know, there are, there are wins and there are losses in there, but it's, it's not about the tally. It's about pointing to Jesus and it's about, you know, helping them in their faith and and just like just like Aaron and her did for for Moses holding up his arms mm-hmm. when his strength was lacking you know being able to hold others up in those moments when their their strength is lacking when they've come to the end of their rope mm-hmm. as as these two individuals had um and being able to be a part of that or or like the the man's friends who lowered him or took him on his mat and lowered him through the the ceiling yeah. to to the once again to the feet of Jesus yeah um, you know, and th- those are, those are wonderful and nerve wracking and, and beautiful and yeah. frightening moments all at the same time. And they, I mean, and they're the time when, when you're leading other people to Jesus. I mean, I think, I think that's the time when, when you have to be presenting yourself to Jesus just as much, if not more and saying, work through me, allow other people to see you in me in this terrible moment in their lives yeah Um, and And, that's the joy of of ministering to one another which is not just the job of the pastor yes yeah no it's the call of every believer Mm -hmm. we're just supposed to equip the church to to actually go out and do this wonderful work yeah you know it's never meant to be just for for us ourselves um and so you know we want to we want to equip others to to be able to walk with people and point them to Jesus um, because we can't be everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's yeah. just the reality of, yeah. you know, um, and, and we're human and we're fallen and, and you know, we're going to make mistakes too, but, but uh, we can equip and, and send 
as as we're called to in in Ephesians four. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you you brought up a little thing about being seen and so on, and, and Jesus. That's another direction I could have gone. That that is in it is the fact that Jesus has this deep concern for for people who wouldn't be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, in in this society, it's two women. Uh, mm-hmm. one of whom is ostracized because of her, her ceremonial uncleanness. The other is mostly unseen because she's young. And, and really kind of just destined to be someone's property. Yeah. You know, yes. And, and destined to be someone's wife, at least. Yes. You know. Because at 12, she would have been just under the age mm-hmm. of being married. Um, and actually, the the one um, scholar noted that that even Jewish tombs lamented um, women who died younger than were able to to be married mm-hmm. and to have a life with with a family, um, and so. But Jesus shows his care for women; it's a deep concern for them, and for you know. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament, where God is concerned about the widow, about the the mm-hmm. fatherless, about the the marginalized. And here, Jesus shows it right up close and personal, mm-hmm. where he's willing to give the woman who had been bleeding, he, he gives her the chance to testify to what he has done, which is not something that even the Jewish legal system would allow. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a woman's testimony, testimony was not valid in the Jewish court of law. And yet here is Jesus saying, you know, who I, I need to find who touched me. Yeah. Um, and is perfectly willing, you know, he doesn't say, Oh, it was you. Eh, never mind. Yeah. But he's, he's willing to say, you know, yeah, and when we think about that, I think we can maybe read Jesus's words, who touched me with, with more compassion than we typically do. I know when yeah. I've heard this passage read and referred to, it's kind of like a, who touched me? Who did it? Someone here touched me. I know they did. You know, the way yeah. I, I talk to... Principal you know, talk. Yeah. Yeah, the way a teacher might talk to the classroom. Like, I know someone did this. Who did it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that's not the picture of Jesus we get here. You know, I think realizing the the privilege that he gave this woman we can we can hear more of a heart of compassion in the midst of that yeah yeah it's it, actually there's a, a good parallel actually in genesis 3 i think uh because we like to read jesus or um god's voice in in genesis 3 as being very very angry you know the who done it mm-hmm. you know where are you yeah um but i think it was much more compassionate adam where are you yeah eve where'd you go yeah. Oh, please, children. Yeah. Uh, and and most of the time we read it is, and then God thundered, where are you, Adam? You know, and yeah. we're like, oh. oh yeah. Um, because that's what we're expecting. And, and we're right to expect it, but that's not who God is. What we expect and who God is are sometimes two vastly different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and this this shows it up close in the, that what you were saying it's not a who touched me like who who would dare mm-hmm. uh, do such a thing but it's very much a a um, I want to know yeah I, I almost wonder if we could read it with a little bit of delight as Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him that someone trusted him enough yeah to... he knew that had to have been done by faith yeah who touched me yeah there's faith here yeah. That's really exciting. <laughs> like, this doesn't happen every day. Yeah. Especially surrounded by, you know, the, the crowd 
just in the passage previous was like we're like hey jesus get out of here we we don't want yeah that. exactly you know? exactly um and, and then again we'll see it to come when they're like yeah we don't think we want your kind of of people around here jesus yeah you know move along please yeah exactly so yeah it very um you know he shows his compassion and his deep concern for women he shows his concern for for people that that society couldn't care a lot about um I mean, obviously, the the doctors uh, took the woman's women's the woman's money and uh, didn't leave her with health. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and you know, the the mourners were ready to write the little girl off and yeah. take their money and go. Yeah, um, and were willing to laugh at Jesus in the process. Yeah, um, but you know, he 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 wanted to teach them about faith and wanted them to to know that he cared enough mm-hmm. that even regardless of the world's value system he was they were valuable to him mm-hmm. and i think there's a good word for us in that too when because i think sometimes it can be tempted it, it can be tempting you know we're consumed with our fear but then then we look at the world around us and see all the things there are to fear and 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 think well you know god certainly doesn't care about my little fear about losing my job when there are people literally starving and right. and dealing with war and stuff. And so to hear Jesus's word of value to the woman and to the, the little girl reminds us that, that Jesus sees value in us too. And you know, even our comparatively little fears are still welcome at the feet of Jesus. One final little touch is he shows it too when, when, he instructs them to not tell anyone, but then also says, get her something to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. dying is hard work. Like, yeah. yeah. Get, get this poor girl a sandwich. Right. Get her a cracker. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, or jello like they give you in the hospital. Yeah. They're, oh, yuck. Oh, yuck. Yeah. Or the burgers that they give you. In, anyway, we're going. Yeah. Uh, All right. Maybe we should just stop. <laughs> maybe. Do you have anything else that? Uh, I don't. Um, this is a good a good passage, a challenging one. And, you know, again, so many levels, the the interruption of Jesus on his way and the, the three mile an hour God kind of idea, the the restoration, the the cleanliness. I mean, there's so much in here and it's just such a good reminder of the complexity and wonder of our God. And, and those things mean that, that we're not too complex and too messed up to continually seek Jesus in, yeah. in all that we do. I think it reminds me of Bethel, uh, Bethel churches, uh, or Bethel music's song, goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just a, 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 probably a good anthem to this, to this week's, yeah, to this week's, uh, lesson. Yeah. All right. All right. Good stuff. Absolutely. This one at least is a little more positive than where we've been in the past. Yeah, we get to end with someone living and, (laughs) you know, happy things. Yeah. You know, but But don't worry, we'll be, we'll be dipping right down into the difficult things again soon. I know, but you know. Such is scripture, right? That's right. That's right. Such is life. Yeah, really, really. And uh, Jesus seeks to to meet us in, in the midst of life. Yeah. Thank goodness. So, yeah, Absolutely. So, well, that's good. I've a good conversation and, uh, hopefully this has helped you. Um, but until next time I'm pastor James and I'm pastor Dina, and we hope this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday.